All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the letter of 2 Peter. In this recording, we're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. We're going to wrap up the letter here with this recording. And in context, Peter has just offered a powerful reminder of the certainty of the day of the Lord. It will come. It'll come with fire and intense heat. And everything, the earth and all its works, will be laid bare before God. So... In view of that fact, how should followers of Jesus live? Like, in view of the fact that the day of the Lord is coming, how should that affect our present way of organizing and carrying out our life now? Well, that's the topic that Peter turns to here in this section of 2 Peter. He says this in verse 11. He says, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? The word holy means set apart, consecrated to God, and thus different. That your conduct, that word conduct means way of life, your overall way of conducting your life, not just individual behaviors, but your whole manner of life, that your conduct would be holy, different from the world around you because you and your way of life are dedicated, consecrated to God's. Peter actually used both of these words quite a bit in his first letter. Holiness was a major theme, particularly in the first couple chapters of 1 Peter. And then this word translated conduct, anastrophe in Greek, he used that quite a bit in chapter 2 and 3 of his letter to emphasize the way our life ought to be carried out in a world that's hostile to our faith. And so he restates that here. Our way of life ought to be holy, uh, dedicated to the Lord, uh, consecrated, and thus different. He also mentions godliness here in verse 11, that since all these things are going to be destroyed in the way he just described in verses uh, 8 through 10, then we ought to live godly lives. And godliness refers to living Godward, like a life under God and unto God. It's a Godward kind of life. And so the final day is coming, and that fact ought to shape how we live today and every day. We ought to be holy and godly in the way we carry out our lives. And then he goes on in verse 12 to actually say a couple more things that ought to be specifically a part of our life in view of the fact that the day of the Lord is coming. He says this, looking for. So as we organize our life in a holy and godly way, we're looking for and hastening the coming day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. And so notice there in verse 12, he restates some of the same language, some of the same ideas that he said about what will happen on the day of the Lord, that the heavens will be destroyed by burning, uh, that the elements, we talked about stoichia, the elements will melt with intense heat, the elements being the building blocks of the universe, the fundamental elements of the world. So Peter just restates those ideas here to kind of capture up what he's been saying. But the really key thing out of verse 12 is to notice that living our lives in a holy and godly way entails looking for and hastening that coming day of God, those two things, looking for his coming. Uh, this word is actually used three times in verses 12 through 14 to emphasize the importance for believers of living in light of, living with expectation of the day of the Lord. Like we have our eyes on the prize. We have our eyes on the goal 
forward focused, knowing what's coming, and we're looking for it. Uh, Paul, in Romans chapter 8, speaks of living with eager anticipation in view of that coming day. This is something that shapes the way we live. We live completely aware of, mindful of, that the, the day of God is coming and we're looking for it. He also says hastening, looking for and hastening the coming day of God. And what Peter means by that is that in some sort of way, by living holy and godly lives now, we can hasten or speed the arrival of that final day. It's not totally clear exactly what Peter has in mind. There's a bit of a mystery to what he says, but we should take Peter's words seriously and be urgent in our pursuit of holiness and godliness knowing that it has some impact on uh, the arrival of the final day. Now, after restating the destruction of the material universe and the call then to live holy and godly lives in light of that, Peter points out exactly what we're looking for. So we're looking for that day of God. Well, what, what does that include? What do we expect to happen, particularly with regard to the world that we live in, the universe that we live in? Well, Peter goes on to say, we're looking for a new universe, a new earth. Look at verse 13. He says, but according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So even though the present earth and the elements are going to be destroyed in some sort of way, right? They're going to be burned up in some sort of way. That's not the end of the story. What we're actually looking forward to is a new heavens, a new universe, right? And a new earth. This is the ultimate destination of God's people, not floating on a cloud in some ethereal world, uh, where we're, you know, got halos over our heads and we're playing some harps or anything like that. No, what we're actually looking forward to is resurrection, right? We're going to get a resurrection of our body and a new earth that is fit to our resurrection life. That's what we're going to get. And he says this is according to God's promise. According to his promise, this is what we're looking for. Well, Peter has in mind Isaiah 65, 17. God has promised this. He's promised a brand new world, a brand new world, as Peter notes, in which righteousness dwells. In other words, there's no injustice. There's no evil or wickedness. Uh, there is no disharmony between uh, people and people, between people and creation and creation and people, between the whole thing and God. Everything is uh, harmonious. There's complete shalom on earth. Uh, it's a world in which righteousness dwells. Everything sad, everything wrong, and everything rotten is removed and undone, and righteousness will live there forever. That's what he means when he says, in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness will inhabit that place, and everything will be made right. The Apostle John actually describes this very same sort of thing in Revelation 21, 1 through 4. I want to read it to you because I just want to put this picture in our mind because we're supposed to be looking forward to this. So Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Notice that, echoing the same thing that Peter is saying, both hearkening back to Isaiah 65, 17. So I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. The reason John mentions that in Revelation 21 is because the sea represents the place of chaos out of which evil disorder comes in the story of Revelation and in the belief system of uh, the world of the Bible. And so that's removed. That place of chaos and disorder is gone. And he says in verse 2, I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. That's the promise that we are looking forward to. That's what Peter has in mind by a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's the promise that drives us forward, that our eyes are fixed on as we go through this life. And so in view of this incredible promise, then, Peter restates the call to action again in the following verses. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, therefore, in view of this promise, in view of what God is preparing for us, in view of the fact that you're looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found spotless and blameless by him at peace And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. And so as we live our lives and we're looking forward to this thing that God has promised for us, he says, be diligent. That actually recalls 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5 that's translated there, make every effort. But it's the same idea in contrast to the false teachers who are stains and blemishes among those churches. Well, the followers of Jesus are to be spotless and blameless so that when when the, the final day comes, that day of the Lord, they might be found by him. That's a picture of standing before Jesus on the final day, found, spotless and blameless. And so Peter's called us there in chapter one and here again in chapter three, as he winds things down, he's called us to make every effort to be diligent, to live godly, holy, Christ-like lives in this world. And as we look forward to that, and as we wait, Peter says, and don't regard the patience of our, our Lord as dawdling, right? Don't regard how long it takes as the Lord is dawdling and taking his own sweet time to make this happen. No, it's patience and it's salvation. Recapturing the idea that Peter stated above about the Lord's patience being motivated by a desire for none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Peter then continues his thought that he began there, because notice we're in the middle of a sentence. So he continues his thought, but he brings up the apostle Paul on this very subject about the Lord's coming and patience and our need to be diligent. He brings up the, the apostle Paul on this subject, and he says that the apostle Paul taught the same ideas even though some try to twist his teachings. Notice what he says here, midway through verse 15. He says, Just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, 
in which there are some things that are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. A couple things to note out of here. Uh, one, it's just fascinating that Peter brings up Paul like this, and he says Paul wrote to the same audience. And so some of the people in this audience got a letter from Paul. If we're dealing with uh, the uh, the churches that are mentioned in 1 Peter, well, that would include some of the churches in Galatia that Paul wrote the letter of Galatians to. And so uh, maybe that or other things. Who knows exactly what Peter has in mind, but it is fascinating he mentions these things. The other thing that's fascinating here is notice the high status that Peter gives to Paul's letters. They're categorized in with the rest of the scriptures. Well, that phrase uh, and that categorization of Paul's letters has caused some to wonder how they can be viewed that way so early in church history. In fact, uh, that's one reason why some scholars say, oh, Peter surely couldn't have written this letter because there's no way Peter could have viewed Paul's writings as uh, scripture, or at least in the category of the rest of the scriptures. That, I think that's just a fundamental misunderstanding of how the canon of scripture works. When we say the canon of scripture, we're talking about the list of official books. So I think when Peter categorizes Paul's writings in with the scriptures, what we have to understand is this, that something isn't authoritative because it's in the Bible, right? Like a writing of Paul isn't scripture or authoritative because it's in the scriptures. It's in the scriptures because it had divine authority. So we've got to get the order of things right. And Peter clearly viewed Paul's writings as authoritative. He viewed the teachings of all the apostles as authoritative. We saw that in chapter 3 earlier above when Peter referred to the teachings of the apostles as the commands of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so Peter clearly viewed them as coming with the very authority of Jesus. That's that's really at the heart of what Peter's getting at here. That's why they later got listed into uh, an official list of recognized books. The list didn't make them authoritative. The authority that they had as representatives of Jesus and spokesmen for him, that authority is what put them on the list. So Peter recognizes that Paul, being an authorized spokesman of King Jesus, an apostle, has authority. Thus, his letters have the authority of the king in what they say. Uh, and, and therefore, Peter can have no problem saying what he says here and putting Paul's writings into the same category as scriptures that also had divine authority. And Peter notes that even in the first century, some people twisted Paul's teachings. Uh, perhaps maybe the false teachers that are plaguing these churches uh, maybe they were, you know, maybe that's why Peter brings it up here because they were guilty of it. Uh, the point is, is that Paul taught some of these th same things about the coming of the Lord. Paul taught some of these same things that in view of that, we ought to live godly and holy lives, making every effort to be pleasing to God in this life in view of the fact there's a final day. And so Peter gives one final call to action as he signs off the letter. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, You therefore, beloved, 
knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the air of unscrupulous people and lose your own firm commitment, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Taken in conjunction with how Peter opened the letter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, where Peter mentions the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, this final phrase here at the end in verse 18, right? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, it almost brackets the whole letter. Verse 2, the last verse, um, and it really acts as sort of this bracketing, which points us then to one of the major themes of the letter, as Peter stated, grow in the knowledge of Jesus, grow in the truth about him, grow in his grace, grow in your walk with him. That's the big theme that kind of brackets the whole letter of Second Peter and reminds us that's ultimately what Peter wants. Why did he bring up the stuff about the false teachers? Why does he bring up the stuff even about um, the second coming and how people are twisting Paul's words? All of this because you got to stay faithful to Jesus. You got to keep growing in the truth about Jesus. And so he says, look, you know this beforehand. You know there's going to be false teachers. You know that people are going to twist things. You've been forewarned of that. If you, did, you hadn't been, now you have because I've just written you this letter. So be on your guard. Watch out. Keep your head in the game. Be focused. Be aware that not everyone who claims to come teaching the truth about Jesus really is. Some people twist things up. Be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the air of unscrupulous people. Uh, people who live for themselves, people who live for their flesh, people who live to make themselves feel good. And as a result of being carried away, you lose your own firm commitment that you yourselves are carried away. You yourselves are led into air by their air. Instead of that, you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't be led astray, but be faithful to Jesus and his truth. And with that then, Peter is ready to sign off his letter. And so he signs off Second Peter this way, to him, that is to Jesus, be the glory both now and unto the day of eternity. Amen. And that's really a fitting sign off for a letter that has called us to live faithfully, godly lives in light of the final day. Judgment and salvation lies ahead. Uh, and so live righteously now with glory to Jesus now and forever. Amen. And with that, Peter signs off the letter. Now, before we uh, leave it and wrap up this letter and this section, let me just point out something that I think is really important. Notice that in light of uh, the day of the Lord, in light of the final day, Peter has called us to live holy and godly lives, to be spotless and blameless. And interestingly enough, all throughout the New Testament letters, um, whenever the second coming comes up, it's always attached to how it affects our life now. Um, that we don't, we don't just have the second coming out there um, as something to debate about because there's different views of how it's all going to play out or anything like that. It's intended to motivate and drive faithful, holy living now. We see that here in 2 Peter chapter 3. We see it all throughout the New Testament, that it always has some sort of pastoral purpose. It always has some behavioral goal or call to it. And so, as we fix our gaze on the day of the Lord, as we look 
forward to his coming. It's to call us forward into holy living and preparing ourselves for the new heavens and new earth, to already be adopting the the culture of the kingdom of heaven, the culture that will permeate the new earth, the righteousness that will dwell there, to begin putting that culture on now so that when that new day comes and that new earth arrives, we won't have culture shock at the righteousness that we're going to enjoy. That's the goal. So we put on holy lives now in view of the final day that is to come. Hey, did you know that the Listener's Commentary is a crowdfunded Bible teaching project? So if you've been impacted by the Listener's Commentary in some way, would you prayerfully consider setting up a monthly donation? It doesn't matter the amount. All amounts help. We have people that give $5 a month, people that give $50 a month, some that give more than that. Um, And all of it makes this ministry possible. And the listener's commentary is impacting people all around the world, uh, people in places that have um, no access to uh, really in-depth Bible teaching and training. Uh, They're being uh, deepened in their understanding of Scripture. They're studying where pastors around the world are using it to prepare sermons. That's all made possible by the generosity of faithful friends and partners. And so if you've been impacted in some way, Uh, Would you consider joining the team of people who make the listener's commentary possible? Thanks a ton.